Have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 16. It's hard to believe that after an extensive journey through our study of the book of Romans, we come now to the end, and I think it's very fitting that we come to the end of Romans as, we, uh, as I come to the end of my ministry here at Covenant as well, and uh, what a fitting text to end the book of Romans, what a fitting text uh, to end my ministry here at Covenant Church. Romans 16, verses 25 to 27, Paul concludes the book, the, really the only way that he possibly could, and that is with a doxology of praise uh, for God's, uh, praise to God for his glory. So Romans 16 verses 25 to 27. And before I read, I invite you to, to bow as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you for revealing yourself to us through your word. We praise you, O Lord, for the way you've revealed yourself to us through this, this beautiful and, and, and deep and amazing book of Romans. Lord, I praise you for our time that we've been able to, to study this book together. I praise you for how you have spoken to us through the book of Romans. And I pray now, Lord, that you would do that again as we, as we look at this, this last uh, beautiful doxology. Oh, Lord, may you speak to us. May your words be planted deep in us. And may they bear fruit of abundant transformation that would be for our good and for your glory. Lord, do your work in us this morning. Give us hearts that would receive what you have to say. Lord, make me a, a servant that would say nothing less and nothing more than what you would have me to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Romans 16, 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, all, the, all nations might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was uh, part of a conversation uh, recently, and we were uh, talking about some of the, the, the challenges that, that are facing Covenant Church. And and the comment that was made in that conversation is that, is that Covenant Church is, is experiencing a bit of an identity crisis, that, that we need to remember who we are. We need to come back to the, the core of our identity and be refocused and, and reshaped and, and sort of regathered around that, that, that central identity, the central identity of who we really are. And we find in these closing verses of Romans, I think, a good 
blueprint for our identity. Uh, Paul ends his letter by giving glory to God for the gospel. And at the center of our being as, as believers and at the center of our existence as a church, this is who we ought to be. This is the essence of our identity. We are, those, we are to be those who give glory to God for the gospel. That is our identity. That ought to be our identity. That is who we are. We are those who are to give glory to God for the gospel. Now, we've already seen uh, many times uh, uh, throughout our study of Romans that, that the gospel is, in fact, the overarching theme of the whole letter. It is the engine that drives the, the whole movement and the whole flow of the letter. It was the focus of Paul's opening remarks in the first uh, few verses of the letter, and it has been the central melody of every major section throughout the letter. And now Paul concludes with this gospel-centered doxology. And there could not be a more fitting way for, for him to end his letter. Like I said, there, there really is no other possible way for him to end than to give glory to God for the gospel. That's been the focus all along, and so it has to be the way he ends. And as I approach the end of my ministry here at Covenant, I can't think of a more fitting way to end than to give glory to God for the gospel. In fact, I don't know what I'm going to preach next Sunday because it seems like this should be it. So maybe we'll have to do something, something else. It is my prayer that as we ponder these words of Paul, we will find our center that we will rediscover our identity, that we will be awakened anew to the essence of who we are, that, that we are living doxologies. We are those who are made to give glory to God for the gospel. So the question for us this morning is, well, well what is it then? What is it about the gospel that makes God so worthy of glory? What, what is it about the gospel that makes Paul have to just end? This burst of praise, and what is it about the gospel that, that makes us, uh, that, that ought to make us a doxology-driven people? What is it about the gospel that makes God so worthy of glory and makes us doxology-driven? Uh, Paul, in these uh, verses, highlights four aspects of the gospel that make God worthy of glory and that make us, that ought to make us doxology-driven people. So we'll walk through them together this morning. The first is that it is, hold on, my computer's not working. All right, there we go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so the first, it is the gospel that strengthens believers. Uh, Paul says in verse 25, glory be to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. And, and the word establish uh, is a translation of the Greek word sterizo. And, and the basic meaning of that word is to strengthen or to make firm. Uh, just to give you a little insight into the, the real nuance or the nature of the meaning of that word and what it means in this context, uh, Paul uses that term uh, in his letters to the churches. He uses the term in relation to, to strengthening believers, especially in three key areas. So strengthening uh, believers in their faith as they stand against false teaching and doctrinal error, uh, strengthening believers in their resolve as they stand against temptation, and then strengthening believers in their courage as they stand against opposition or persecution. So that's, that's really the, the way that Paul uses that word in, uh, throughout his, his letters, and especially in the letter uh, to the Thessalonians where he uses it quite frequently. 
So the, the, the power of the gospel is that it is able to strengthen us as believers in, in all of these ways. Uh, w- when we say focused and, and centered and growing in the gospel truths that, that Paul has, has laid out for us so beautifully in the book of Romans, we are able to, to stand firm against false teaching. And we are able to resist temptation. And we are able to endure opposition. So the gospel is a gospel that strengthens believers. God is able to to make believers stand strong and secure as we make the gospel the center of our existence. And so there is a really a, a deep assurance for believers in these words of Paul that God is able to keep us standing no matter what comes our way. God is able to, to plant us so firmly in the gospel that, that nothing can make us fall. He's able to make us stand against every form of false teaching and every flaming arrow of temptation and every scheme of opposition. And to use the language of the reformers, God is able to preserve us to the very end or to allow us to persevere as saints to the very end. God will not let us fall. The God who called us and gathered us will strengthen us and keep us. I think Jude expressed the same sentiment in his doxology at the end of his short letter. He said to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. So let us remind ourselves of this truth. Let us see ourselves as those strengthened and and held and made eternally secure by the grip of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not live with a spirit of timidity and fear. Let us not waste our time judging others and defending things that really don't in the end matter. Let us not give in to false teaching and temptation. Let us not crumble under the weight of opposition. Let us be gospel focused. Glory be to God for the gospel, Paul says, because it is the gospel that strengthens us and keeps us. The second thing that Paul says about the gospel is that it's the gospel about Jesus Christ. Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you in accordance with my gospel, and this is the gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ So Christ is the very center of the gospel. He is the whole sum and substance of the good news. Nothing comes through more clearly in Paul's letters and in his life and in his ministry than the centrality and the supremacy of Christ. Let me just give you a a, a small and a brief sampling of, of some of Paul's words throughout his letters. Paul said in Philippians, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage or or rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He said that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
And so Paul's preaching was unabashedly a Christ-centered preaching. He said to the Corinthians that when I came to you, I, I did not come with, with eloquence of human wisdom like all the other uh, rhetoricians and, and uh, people of, of rhetoric in Paul's day did. They were, they, they, uh, they, especially in the Corinthian context, they, they loved wisdom and they loved, they loved to sit around and, and talk and, and wax eloquent about wise and deep philosophical truths. And Paul said, I didn't come like that at all. I didn't come with, with eloquence. I didn't come with, with rhetoric. I didn't come with, with, with philosophy and human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> and he said to the Colossians, Christ we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I love those verses because we see in these verses, just a, in Colossians here, we see a very succinct and clear theology of Paul's preaching. And notice how every dimension of his preaching from beginning to end, it's all about Christ. I mean, everything is related to Christ. Every dimension of his preaching revolves around Christ. He preached the content of Christ so that people would grow to maturity in Christ. And he did this by the power of Christ at work within him. And so Christ was the substance of his preaching. Uh, Christ we proclaim, he said. And Christ was the goal of his preaching, to present everyone mature in Christ. And Christ was the power behind his preaching. And so from beginning to end, it was all about Christ. And so Paul could say to the Galatians, may I never boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel we proclaim and the gospel we embrace and the gospel that we live by is the gospel about Jesus Christ. And if Christ is the very center of the gospel, then he ought to be the center of the church. And so as Covenant Church makes its way into the next season of ministry, and as you search for a new pastor, keep this firmly in your minds. Keep Christ at the center. You might be tempted to find someone who will be a champion of political causes. You might be drawn to someone who is a gifted speaker. You might look for someone who is an accomplished leader, who has an entrepreneurial heart and, 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 and mind and can do all kinds of great leadership things. My prayer is that you'll find and look, that you'll look for someone and find someone who is passionately devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you will not waver from the centrality of Christ and him crucified. As you head into the next chapter, make Christ the center of your worship and the center of your teaching and the center of your fellowship and the center of your unity and the center of your mission and the center of your existence. Be a church that sees and savors Christ as your true treasure. In the Christmas movie, Elf, Buddy is a human who was raised by elves in the North Pole and at one point in the movie, he is mistaken for an employee in the Gimbel's department store in New York City. If, you, if you've seen the movie, then you'll know this, this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, to Buddy's delight, the store is, is decorated, uh, you know, 
uh, all out for Christmas, and it reminds him of his home in the North Pole, and he, he can't stop smiling. And so his supervisor comes up to him and asks him, well, you know, why, why are you smiling like that? And Buddy says, well, I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. And the supervisor tries to take him down a few notches and tries to refocus his priorities. And the supervisor says to him, make work your favorite. Work, work is your new favorite. Might we be a church that makes the gospel our new favorite? Might we be a church for whom gospel commitment takes precedent over cultural engagement and political activism and, and even denominational loyalty if necessary? As I ponder the state of the church, there seems to me to be two, what I would say, and this, this is, again, my opinion, what I, what I would say, what seems to be two erring approaches to culture. On one hand, there are some who, who make too little of the fact that we are at odds with culture. We, we are at odds with culture. They, they, they don't perceive or, or maybe they don't take seriously enough the evils in our culture. And they are prone then to buy into the unbiblical ideas that our culture is promoting. They just sort of go along with them. They conform to the pattern of the world. They, they acquiesce to the prevailing spirit of the age. And they are sacrificing biblical truth on the altar of culture accommodation. On the other hand, there are some who I think make too much of the fact that we are at odds with culture and they make this the most important thing. And they elevate being a champion of cultural causes above the centrality and the sufficiency of the gospel. They are sacrificing biblical truth on the altar of cultural antagonism. What both sides need, I'm convinced, is to be refocused and recentered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pursue Christ. Be devoted to Christ. Follow Christ. Let, let his truth prevail. Let his kingdom be your heart's desire. May, make the gospel of Christ your new favorite. It is sufficient. Don't ever say the gospel's not sufficient. We need more than the gospel. You never need more than the gospel. It is sufficient. It is enough. As Paul said back in chapter 1, it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. Be a gospel-driven, gospel-centered church. We make much of Christ in our worship because Scripture makes much of Christ in its revelation. Glory be to God for the gospel because it is the gospel about Jesus Christ. The third thing that Paul says is that it is the gospel revealed by God through the prophets. Paul says it is the, the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. Now, when Paul says that the gospel was a mystery, the word mystery does not mean what we typically think the word means. Uh, when we hear the word mystery, we think of maybe mystery novels, or we think of something mysterious. We think of something that's, that's maybe hard to figure out, or, or, or hard to understand, or something that is shrouded with unanswered questions. That's not what the word mystery means in the Bible. In the Bible, the word mystery means something that was hidden by God and revealed in his own time, at the time of his own choosing. It is a divine secret that God chooses on his terms and in his own time to make known. And so, so Paul is saying that the gospel was always in the mind of God. It was always part of his purpose and plan. It was, 
It was a secret that was hidden in the eternal counsel of God, but it was, it was hidden for ages and ages and then revealed at the time of his own choosing. That's what, that's what the mystery of the gospel is. And Paul says, that, and, and part of that mystery of the gospel is that it is to include the Gentiles. That's part of what was the secret that God had hidden in his purposes that, that he didn't reveal until the time of his own choosing. And Paul says that he began to reveal this, this mystery of the gospel through the prophets. Now, there, there are some who try to sort of skirt around that and, th- and try to make Paul say something he, 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 that, different than what he's actually saying, because they, they think, well, sh- certainly Paul means the, the New Testament writings that God chose to reveal them in the New Testament. So that by, by prophetic writings, Paul means the New Testament. No, <laughs> he means the prophetic writings. Paul's talking about the Old Testament. That, that, that's when God began to reveal the mystery of the gospel in the Old Testament. In fact, this is an echo of what Paul said in the opening lines of his letter when he said, Paul you know, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. The gospel that we celebrate and proclaim and sing about and build our lives and our ministry around is the gospel that began to be revealed in the Old Testament and has been fully revealed now in the coming of Christ. God is worthy of glory and we are to be filled with praise because the gospel spans the whole counsel of the Bible. Every Old Testament promise finds its fulfillment in Christ. Every story whispers his name. He is the true prophet, priest, and king from the Torah. He is the temple of God, the living word, the the culmination of the covenants, the, the yes to all the promises, the fulfillment of the law, the second Adam. That the true manna from heaven, that the rock of living water, the, the suffering servant of Isaiah, the son of man of Daniel, the real wisdom of the Proverbs. He is the son of David and the seed of Abraham and the, and the good shepherd longed for by the prophets. And, and all of this that, that makes the Bible a book like no other. 66 books, 40 different authors written over the span of about 1,500 years, yet all telling the one story of the gospel. And so again, as you head into the next chapter, do not neglect the Old Testament and find a pastor who will preach the whole counsel of God. Glory be to God for the way he has revealed himself through all of Scripture, for the way that all of Scripture unfolds the great secret of the gospel. And finally, Paul says, it is the gospel for all nations. He says the gospel has been made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith. And this too is an echo of what Paul said at the beginning of his letter. He's at the end, he's kind of coming back to the opening themes and the themes that have, he's sort of recapitulating the themes he's woven throughout the whole letter. And so he goes back to, to much of what he said in the beginning. Paul said in the opening verses that he was uh, set apart for the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The gospel is ordained to go to all nations. 
The, the good news of hell-deserving sinners reconciled to God is for every nation and tribe and people and language. It is God's intention and design that people from, from all nations be gathered together under the lordship of Christ. The Apostle John had a vision of what it, will look, what it will be like when the gospel mission is complete and when God's vision is fully realized. And this is what he said. He said, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, what a, what a vision that is and what an exhilarating thought that is. And imagine being part of that great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language all together giving glory and praise and, and worship to our God. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And what a beautiful and good and fitting thing it is when, when we get taste of that vision here and now. That's, this is one of the, that's one of the things that I, I love about our partnership with the Congolese Fellowship. And, and one of the reasons why I want us to see do more things together with them. And, and, and part of my prayer for Covenant would be that we'd that be able to do that. That there'd be more partnership and more coming together, more acts and, and events of fellowship and, and, and coming together in the days and months and years ahead. It is a little glimpse of the consummated kingdom. It is investing in a partnership that has everlasting significance. It is building for the kingdom to the glory of God. Might we be a church that catches the vision to make disciples of all nations? Might we look beyond ourselves and beyond our church walls and discover the adventure of God's gospel mission? Might we see how exhilarating it is to be part of something bigger and, and grander than anything that we ourselves could muster? And may this gospel vision of the good news spreading to all nations so grip us that we would boldly pray, that we would boldly pray for God to bless us to that end. Right? That, that, let it be so ingrained in us that we would say with the psalmist, may God be gracious to us and, and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now, let me just pause there for a moment because we're really good at saying that, that, that first part of the prayer, aren't we? But, but so often it's, it's followed by something that, that's an inward focus. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us so that my job will go well. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us so that we can have good health in our family. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us so that uh, we can get through this difficult season. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us. And then you fill in the blanks for a hundred other self-focused ways to end that prayer, which are not bad Ways, but if that's the only way that we pray, then there's something wrong. That's not how the psalmist prays here in Psalm 67. The psalmist goes on to say, Oh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, not for our own inward purposes, but so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. 
Lord, bless us. In other words, Lord, bless us for the sake of your name. Lord, bless us to be a blessing to others. Bless us so that the glory of your name and the power of your gospel may be spread among the nations. Bless us, O Lord, for that purpose. Bless us for your purposes. Bless us for the glory of your name. As the psalm goes on to say, May the nations be glad and sing for joy. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The gospel is the gospel for all nations. Let us then embrace the vision. Let us not turn inward and wither on the vine. Let us discover the joy and the adventure of gospel ministry that draws others to the obedience that comes from faith. Glory be to God for the gospel that is for all the nations. If we as a church are in fact suffering from an identity crisis, we find in these verses the proper cure we find in Paul's doxology a reminder of, of who we are. We are those made to give glory to God for the gospel. Let this be your defining identity. Let this be your unwavering theme. Lift up your hearts to God and behold the wonder of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that was revealed through the prophets and the gospel that is ordained to grip all the nations and the gospel that strengthens believers from beginning to end. Let us not forget who we are. We are living doxologies. We are creatures of praise. We are made to give glory to God for the gospel. Jim Elliott once said, to stand by the shadows of a friendly tree with a wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart. To gaze and glory and give oneself to God, what more could a person ask? I care not for anything less if only I may live to glorify him. Let us give ourselves to that for which we were made. Let us live to, the, to praise the God of the gospel. Soli Deo, Gloria to God be the glory. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, there is no more fitting way for the book of Romans to end than this doxology, this burst of praise, giving glory to you for the gospel. Lord, may we catch the vision of this doxology. May we be a people and a church, O Lord, who live and breathe and exist to give glory to you for the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray, O Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine on us, not for our sake, O Lord, not for our selfish ambitions, but so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations, your glory exalted in all the earth. 
Lord, bless us to that end and give us hearts, Lord, that desire to be blessed to that end. And may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. O Lord, bless us so that all the ends of the earth will fear you and praise you and give glory to you for the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his strong and victorious and risen name that we pray. Amen.